Welcome, everyone, to Season 3, Episode 105 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yashpika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. And in this episode, we have the special Transfer Deadline Day, Winter 2021 episode here. There's a lot of transfer dealings that literally happen on Deadline Day, which Tyler and I were talking about. It's a little bit... Uh, a little bit unique because usually on winter transfer during the winter transfer window we don't see a bunch of transfers but to happen to have all these happen on deadline day is kind of uh kind of crazy so it kind of just speaks to the times we're in right now but before we jump into talking about the transfers we're recording this on tuesday february 2nd so we're in the middle of a match day weekend but due to our schedules we kind of have to record it today and manchester united just beat southampton 9-0 at home at old trafford just smacked them and it was a crazy, crazy, crazy game because this is the biggest Premier League win for Manchester United since they beat, I believe, um, Ipswich Town 9-0 in the Premier League, which is uh, it's pretty crazy that it's I think it's. I think it was close to like 20 years since the last time that's happened. So it was a vintage United display. I mean, they were scoring goals like for fun, basically, because Southampton got a red card within the first minute. Um, it was Alex uh, Yan. What was his name? Jack Witz. Yeah. Got a, he's 19 year old on his Premier League debut, got a red card right away after doing a rash challenge in McTominay. And then United just went to town after that. And I have to give him credit because it's sometimes. As as I know it sounds weird, but it's sometimes it's really hard to score against ten defenders, and United just were on a mission to attack and score goals. And Raf Hasenhudo fortunately has on his resume and CV as a Premier League manager that he's lost nine nil in two seasons in a row. Usually, uh, for CVs for managers in the Premier League, you have two time Premier League winner, champion, runner up, Premier League champion. Um, you know, most goals scored in a Premier League season, but no, Hasenhudo has. Literally getting smacked nine nil twice in t- consecutive seasons against two different opponents, um, and it is. Uh, I don't know whether it's sad or funny. I don't know. I don't know what to. I don't know what to say about that. Do you, you think it's more sad or funny? I think it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's. This is. He's been winless actually since he beat Liverpool and had that you know emotional break. breakdown. The emotional <laughs> breakdown. We just started crying on the pitch ever since that day. He has been winless. <laughs> and then he goes from going beating Liverpool to losing nine nil to Man U for you know Southampton's history. Nine <laughs> nil happened two seasons in a row, and I feel like this is also the first time in Premier Pod history we've mentioned our our good friend listener Daniel's team Ipswich Town. <laughs> so that's another <laughs> accolade right there. But this is I don't even know who like Jankowitz was. It's just his first Premier League start mm-hmm. ever. And this is his first time, like within the first 74 seconds, getting a red card. And this is the first time getting a red card for someone's first Premier League start since Serge Aurier. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's very rare to see, but it's also kind of had the writing on the wall the second he got sent off. Like Tazenhoodle's face was just like, a disappointment. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and here we you go. go. It was funny, too, because uh, Jan Benderek also had a terrible game because he had an own goal and gave away a penalty and got sent off as well. And I think Tyler mentioned he had like a 3.9 rating. <laughs> it was like 2.7. That's awful. And like you know what's crazy? I To beat an opponent 9-0, I feel like that's really hard to do. Even in FIFA, you, when you're playing against an opponent, it's still sometimes really hard to do that. Like. You have to be very, very good to do that to another opponent, especially playing online. But I just don't know how these players, because a lot of the same players that got smacked 9 no last season are still playing for this team, like Danny Ings, James Ward-Prowse, Shea Adams, um, Bednarak. I mean, you can name it. Pretty much same, same, um, same group of players. But gosh, it must really hurt their psyche to know that they, that they lost a man really early in the game, but they also lost 9-0. And... I don't know how they're going to recover from this because this is uh, this is tough. And I don't know how Hasenhutl, as much as he's been doing, as much good as he's been doing this season. I don't know. Can you can you trust him to be your manager going forward? Because are you afraid that a 9-0 is waiting to happen each season that he's uh, that he sticks around? No, I think it's still fine because this time <laughs> they're not in like a relegation battle. They're still like top half of the table. But it's just... I don't know. For me, seeing it like the the second nine nil is more. It's just funny. The first one was kind of sad, but this one's just funny. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how the players are probably treating it. They're, I'm pretty sure they're 
upset and frustrated because you know they're on a winless streak as well so it's just like everything on top of that but at least for me it's just as a neutral for this match i'm like <laughs> I, I will say for me, it was really fun to see Manchester United score nine goals because I've when I when I since I've been a United fan, I've had I guess not the luxury, but seeing managers that are very more defense minded and pragmatic, such as Louis Van Hall and Jose Mourinho, who don't really care about winning by five, six goals. They would rather win by one goal and just set up shop and pack it up. And it was nice to see United just continue on and attacking. Dan James got a goal. Bruno Fernandez scored a penalty. Martial got got on the scoring on the uh, on the score sheet, which is important because he was out of form. McTominay scored a banger. <laughs> I don't know what is uh, what is up with McTominay. That guy Mex Sauce just scores absolute bangers, no matter what. Um, as much as I criticize him, and a lot of people do criticize him, he somehow shows up with goals. And it was a good display. Rashford got a goal. Cavani got a goal. Juan Basaka got a goal. I mean, eight eight players got a goal <laughs> that game, including Ben Narek. <laughs> it was funny. Like Maguire, Maguire was basically playing like a box to box central midfielder during that game too, just going up as much as he wants. So it was a good display. I mean, as a United fan, it's it's very good to see they bounce back from a pretty uh, little rough patch. You know, losing the Sheffield and then also drawing to Arsenal. So it was a good bounce back game, a really good bounce back game for them. So hopefully they can use this to kick on and, you know, keep going forward. But they've actually right now, they've currently had, they've currently scored the most goals in the Premier League right now at 46, which is uh, pretty impressive because that hasn't happened for United side in a while. Usually you think City or Liverpool are going to be up there on the top. So United, I don't know. It's funny. They win 9-0, but they also got smacked 6-1 against Tottenham and then they beat Leeds United, I think, what was it, 6-2? So they've had some pretty wacky and interesting results at home. But enough about United. we got to jump into the transfers. Uh, for Liverpool, they did actually make some moves in the de- on deadline day, which we were kind of predicting they would have done. Uh, in last week's episode, we were thinking some other defender, Subotic, but they actually did not end up going after him. They signed Ben Davies from Barrow FC, AFC, which is in the League Two, and then they signed Ozan Kapak from Schalke. Um, Kapak is the loan option, a loan with option to buy at the end of the season, and Ben Davies was a permanent buy. So Liverpool went out, splashed their money, got two center backs, not for big money, but they got two center backs um, in. And that's really important because Liverpool were basically playing Fabinho and Henderson as their starting center backs and playing a bunch of young kids. So now they have at least some sort of experience back there now. Mm -hmm. It's literally four center backs are out, including Fabinho right now. Mm -hmm. He's with, you know, ankle, knee, muscular injuries, like the whole, the whole shebang. So, (laughs) Seeing Ben Davies from like Preston North End of all places, like who would have thought? Imagine being Ben Davies and then just seeing it's like you're going to Liverpool. <laughs> he's that's crazy. Playing like le- like the championship, and he's just like, all right, here you go. You're gonna probably start a few games for Liverpool now this season. That's a huge thing for him. Like, I can't even imagine, but it's pretty cool to see. A lot of people who are like a lot of older Liverpool fans have seen this as like a throwback because there's a lot of big players back in the day that kind of had this ascension the same way as Ben Davies, such as Kevin Keegan. Um, you got Ian Rush. So I don't know if he's going to turn out to be like a legend like that, but I don't know. You got to shoot your shot and this is a pretty big opportunity for him. So we're definitely going to need him and we're definitely going to play him. So this is going to be huge. And apparently, you know, he's under 2 million pounds as a transfer, yeah. which is kind of rare to see from a champion's team yeah and also it's kind of rare to see someone just immediately just go from the championships like all right you're going straight in so hopefully he has their good like right mentality because i think that's what liverpool really goes out to find not players necessarily with like the right you know credentials or things like that or like just it's like uh, everything on the stat sheet looks good it's just is their mentality also good is their personality outside the locker room and you know just going about with the other teammates good i think that's why they picked ben davies and Klopp said a lot about him. He's like, you saw him and said, wow, this is a player we definitely need. And I'm excited to have him. So like just little things like that. I, I'm kind of excited for Ben Davies. Never even heard of him. Not going to lie going into this. And <laughs> he's wearing Colo Torre's old number. So it should be good vibes. And then our other boy, Kabak. He's a, a 
also a surprise pick because he was basically just brought in from on loan from Schalke, who's just struggling dead last in the Bundesliga mm-hmm. with an option to buy, not an obligation to buy for 18 million pounds. And he's 20 years old, Turkish. A lot of people were saying it's good vibes also having another Turkish center back come in because Soyuncu worked out pretty well. So <laughs> I'm not going to say he's going to be Soyuncu, but I think this is promising too because a lot of people that have been involved with him, like D- David Wagner, the old Huddersfield town manager, also good friends of Klopp, said mm-hmm. he's a really good pickup. So I think like little praises like that should help him out. I hope there's not too much pressure on him because, you know, a 20-year-old boy, who knows what he's going to do? Just also chucked into the side. Well, but how old is Ben Davies? Ben Davies is twenty-five. So okay, he's like a year older than me, which is kind of sad. <laughs> <laughs> I still consider that young. I think he has a lot to you know still learn and, and a lot to contribute mm-hmm. to the team. But for Kabak as well, this is going to be a pretty big opportunity for him to really show why there's a lot of people saying he's a promising player and. It's coming a very good time because like Mike Edwards, like the Michael Edwards, the basically the GM of Liverpool, he managed to get all this sorted, all this kicked off with like no money on transfer deadline day. So this is huge for us. And also Joel Maltip, unfortunately, was ruled out with the season ending ankle injury as well during all this. So I think that news on top of the news of all of our other center backs being just on hospital beds. Just really emphasize, like, all right, we definitely need not even just one center back, but two. And like Michael Edwards got it, got it yeah, going. Yeah, so. I think uh, what's interesting here is this kind of reminds me of um, sort of when Manchester United signed Odi Nagala last last year um, with uh, that loan option um, in the chan- January transfer window, where they the Fernandez was the big signing, but then Igala was also brought in. Everyone was like, "What? Why are they bringing Igala? Like, what the heck? It's so random." But during that time, Marcus Rashford was out for injury, and Anthony Martial. The reason Solskjaer brought him, brought Igalo in, was just to add a little bit of uh, competition in the uh, striking position. And Igalo chipped in with a couple goals here and there, but he wasn't a big mainstaying factor. But he at least provided a bit of competition and got the squad going, and at least played his part a little bit. And I feel like for Liverpool, they're probably banking on the same fact that okay, Ben Davies, you know, at twenty five. Maybe he can come in and just do like a little bit of a pinch effort, like in baseball, where they call it like a pinch hitter, just coming in for a relief or a relief pitcher. I feel like maybe they're they're trying to roll the dice here with these two center backs and seeing, okay, if they don't work out, it's not the biggest deal because we're not losing a ton of money, but at least they can come in and maybe paper over some of the cracks until we get our our big guys back in. And I think um, I, I I think it's a good move because you know even if it doesn't work out completely. Maybe there's some potential in signing one of these guys long, well, signing Kabak long term, or maybe Ben Davies can just be that relief on the bench center back just in case if something like this ever happens again. So I think for Liverpool, they had to do it. I, I think it was a really good move that they did do it because, if anything, at least um, they're not losing out on a ton. It's not like they splashed 75 million on a new center back this uh, winter, this winter window. And if it doesn't work out, they're in the, you know, in the tank because of their their the the money they splashed on them. This is like very little money for a club like Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Very little risk, and I will say the only questions I really have for these two players in particular is just obviously for Ben Davies is can he cope with just getting straight into a Premier League side and the just pressure. being yeah the pressure really. I feel like it's not really the same pressure as like you know a big money signing, but it's just like more hopeful pressure which is kind of different mm-hmm. but Kabak I think that one's gonna be a little different because he's coming from a Bundesliga team Schalke who's dead last and also conceded like 40 <laughs> plus goals already so he's gonna be now trying to do the opposite which is no I mean like the objective is still to make yeah. sure you don't concede goals but now it's like all right you actually can't concede goals yeah <laughs> it's play like for a good team now yeah, you play for an actual good team now so that's that's the thing but yeah I think yeah. um I think overall, you know, I I let Tyler mention like this last one that they also had to do this last piece of business that they had to do for Liverpool in the winter window. But with this move, I think it allows them, at least for Klopp's sake, hopefully Fabinho, you know, for Klopp will get back healthy enough. Now, at least their midfield, which has always been, I think, one of the stronger parts of Liverpool because they have a lot of people in that position. Now they can start, Klopp can start playing Henderson and Fabinho back in the midfield and 
having them in the midfield will be much more beneficial for Liverpool because then they can actually thrive and play in their best positions. And you never know, maybe them playing there will provide some of that assurance and help other players and help elevate other players, such as the attackers, to go have that freedom to go do what they want. The defenders kind of have that assurance that, hey, we have experienced midfielders ahead of us. And you'll just have playing you have players playing in the right position. And I think that will allow them to kind of kick on and start gaining some momentum in the Premier League. And for them, I think it was well worth the risk because I think it does put them back as legitimate title contenders. Not that they were ever not, but I feel like it would have been hard for them to win the Premier League title if they didn't sign any type of defender. So I think with these moves, I think it puts them... Um, I think it puts them back on track to kind of fight and, you know, win back the Premier League title and win it two times in a row. But Tyler, I don't know. Do you, do you think this is now this is now their, their time to kind of kick on and try to go for the title again? I feel like it'll make them title contenders, but I still don't think even with these two signings, it'll help them win necessarily because I feel like for Van Dyke being in the squad, like that was a big factor in making sure Liverpool do win. Mm-hmm. And for that'd be insane though if like, all right, we got Ben Davies and then we won the league because of you know Ben Davies or like Kabak. <laughs> so that'd be a lot of not like pressure, but that'd just be a lot of emphasis on just how important these two players would be if ultimately they'd helped us win the title. But I don't think they're that caliber unless they surprise everyone. <laughs> but you know, I think in this season with just so much uncertainty and just so many teams just not really in the groove besides Man City right now. I mean, it could happen. Like, who knows? Maybe just at least one of them goes off and becomes like at least a star for the season, like pulls like in a Rigi or something. <laughs> and then they uh, they help like basically squeak into first place by like one point and like just the final match day, something like that. Like that could that could happen. But I am not going to keep my hopes up too much. Because, you know, there's still these two players are good for Liverpool, but they're no Van Dyke, they're no Joe Gomez. So we'll, we'll just have to see. But I do want to also mention the last transfer for Liverpool, which I'm kind of a little sad about. Not even a little sad. I was just very upset. It was Minamino. He's gone to Southampton on loan for the rest of the season. Yeah, this was a really hard one for me to see because I'm a big Minamino fan. A lot of also a lot of other Liverpool fans that I've seen on Twitter are also kind of upset because there's a certain other player that hasn't really done t- too well this season that we all thought was going to go on loan instead of Divock Origi. But Minamino <laughs> went, and I really hope this helps him out because he really hasn't really gotten too much game time. If I'm being honest, like it's a, once in a blue moon you really see Minamino, and he's very promising every time he plays. It's just he doesn't get that consistency. He comes on for like Crystal Palace scores and then it's like all right where'd he go he's just (laughs) gone after that so i think this stint will help him and he's on a pretty similar type of build of a team at southampton of house and hoodle the alpine klopp so we'll see (laughs) i don't even know if we can call him great value klopp anymore after him beating klopp but i mean he'll still get that that run in so we'll see hopefully he comes back stronger and then he can get some more minutes for the team because that's ultimately what I want <laughs> and hopefully what other Liverpool fans wants as well. Yeah, I feel like um, maybe they did it because they have maybe, I don't know, it's kind of weird because they don't have a ton of depth and then attacking three. I mean, they're still waiting for Jota to get back healthy and then, yeah, they have Shakiri and then Origi's kind of the striker replacement. But I, I don't know, Does I, I think Minamino only plays out in the wings, right? He doesn't really play striker. He he can play striker and he can also play like cam winger and he like mm-hmm. any of that area up, up top. But I think they or Klopp predominantly plays them like more centrally at times. Mm. And then other times it's like I would say more 50 50 like central attacker or just winger. So I think luckily for Liverpool, the front three have been very healthy this season. And actually, Diogo Jota is projected to be back within the next few weeks. So I think that's also something Klopp had his eye on too. It's like, all right, with Jota back and then like Shakiri's kind of kicking back off again after being gone for, I felt like years. <laughs> and then, you know, Thiago's back as well. And then that midfield is about to be a little bit more congested with Henderson kind of shifting back into midfield. I think he saw that there's just too many players in and like Minamino was just not going to develop in this. So that's why he probably did it. But it's yeah. still sad part. I know it's sad. Um, 
but we'll see. We'll see how he does. Hopefully, he can kick on and help Southampton out a little bit during this uh, during this short loan period um, towards them for them for the rest of the season. But that that was pretty much Liverpool's day in the transfer window. I feel like they probably had one of the busiest days, um, especially for a top club to have such a busy winter transfer window, especially on deadline day. I mean, Liverpool are no strangers to winter transfer moves. That's uh, that's kind of their been their soiree of signing like top players such as Van Dyke, Suarez. They signed Carroll. Also, the double deal. Oh, but, uh, I'll just throw that in there. They, um, but they, they, they are a club known to make some moves in the transfer, the winter transfer window. So, no surprise to see them kind of making some moves there. But another team, uh, out of, in the top six. Well, if you want to put quote unquote top six, not looking at the actual standings, Arsenal. Um, they broke up a significant trio of players, which I will quickly name right now is Mezzodozo. Mustafi and Kolosniac all are gone. All of their contracts have been terminated. I think Ozil Ozil was it on loan or it was a permanent, right? For, for a permanent. Yeah. Mustafi contract terminated. He is signed for Schalke and then Kolosniac, his contract was terminated but I don't remember exactly where he went. Was He's it also a, on Schalke. Oh, cool. I'll join yeah, Schalke. All there. Um, <laughs> And it was pretty funny because there was this picture of all three of them, I think a couple seasons back of like posing for a picture or whatever. And some Arsenal account or whatever quote to is like, uh, like getting rid of the toxic players or whatever. It's time to move on. And it was just happy. And then not to mention, I think also Henrik Mkhitaryan's contract also got terminated at Arsenal. So Arsenal had a really, really busy January transfer window. They didn't bring a ton of players in, but they did get rid of a lot of the players that were kind of sitting ducks, collecting high wages and you can start to see that, okay, Arsenal, even though it may be a little bit of a struggle right now, they're starting to really, you know, be serious about rebuilding and not, you know, not doing this half whimsical thing. They are being serious and they broke up the trio right there. It's pretty crazy that um, these three players were on super high wages and now they're just gone. Like it's a it's a pretty bold move just to terminate a contract because you don't gain any money out of it. And I think you actually have to sometimes buy out the contract for the player because sometimes I know in American sports, at least works like that, that it's a buyout thing if you want to cancel a contract. So um, big props to Arsenal for making those shrewd moves that, uh, you know, sometimes difficult to make. But, you know, these players have new teams and now Arsenal can kind of uh, kind of, you know, kind of do their own thing now. But it, I don't know. It, it was pretty funny when I saw that, that all three of them are just now gone now. I was I was really happy for the Arsenal fans because <laughs> especially this is Mustafi. Gosh, and Mustafi's that, gone. The the liability, like we joke about, like Jaka and I remember when know, he signed. Was, he, I thought I thought he was going to be really good. He was signed for Valencia, right? And he mm-hmm. he was the German like three million pounds, and I yeah. was like, oh okay, because like he won a World Cup. Yeah, because I was like, he had the credentials and he had a lot of promise, and then all of a sudden we realize it's like, all right, he wasn't the reason why Germany won the World Cup. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> it was like Schweinsteiger or Philip Lahm, Manuel Neuer, maybe those guys, but no, nah, not Mustafi. It's like when you see a group for like a school project and it's like the whole group gets like an, like a hundred. It's like, oh, they killed it. And then they switch up the groups and you get one of the guys from that group or one of the girls from the group. And they're like, oh, we're good. Like we got someone from like the OP group that got the hundred. And you realize that was the person just kind of sat there. <laughs> that's Mustafi. <laughs> like that's Mustafi. And like, as Yash mentioned, like losing these wages, I, I really, well, I mean, at least in FIFA, if you terminate a contract, you have to pay some of it, but. Mustafi's contract, at least, was at the tail end. I believe mm-hmm. he only had like six months or even less than a year left. Man, that's like disrespect. They couldn't even hold you on for eight more months. They're like, nah, have that. <laughs> so <laughs> Mustafi's actually on a six-month contract at Schalke. And Kolasniak, hey. when he went, he's also on like a one-year contract because he went in the summer. And Kolasniak's but, actually from Schalke. They yeah, Arsenal literally true. signed him from a free from Schalke. Then they just returned him back for free. We don't want him back. We don't want him anymore. <laughs> But Schalke is projected to go down. So I think that's yeah. also why they're on these contracts. It's like, we don't want their high wages when we're down too. So <laughs> I don't know if they're really going to help Schalke's cause in fighting relegation. But if I were Schalke, I would not have picked these players. But, you know, when you're desperate, you're desperate. But I really think this kind of spring cleaning, as a lot of people have called it, is going to be kind of a rebirth for Arsenal to really kind of focus in on what players they want to promote within the team and also to give the players the wages that deserve the wages now. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be huge. And despite this too, they also, um, I I would say unfortunately, but I maybe this is a good thing for the players individually, but mainly Niles 
has joined West Brom on loan for the season, which is kind of interesting because he's now on a relegation battle. And then Joe Willick joins Newcastle, which is also kind of interesting because Newcastle is boring. So <laughs> we're going to see how that's going to turn out. Well, Joe Willick's on loan, though. So both are on loan. I don't know yeah. if you consider Maitland Niles a youth player anymore. Yeah, it feels like it's one of those things like um, they were talking about in the broadcast that he was one of those players that was supposed to be that next Arsenal superstar and unfortunately has been played out of different positions all the time. And it's one of those things, I, I can't remember which player we talked about it, but he's kind of that utility player where he can kind of play in a lot of positions, but he can't really specialize in one. So they, maybe that kind of stunts his growth. I remember we were talking about that with one player, but I can't remember who who we were mentioning. Like James Milner. Yeah. That's, that's what I think of the Swiss Army knife of yeah. players. And it, that's very beneficial to have, but I feel like for a young player that can oftentimes, it could be one of the reasons why you play a lot, but it could also be one of the reasons why you don't grow as much. Or unless you're like a Kimmich who's like good at everything, basically, you know. <laughs> but unfortunately, not a lot of players are like that. But for Joe Willick, it's one of those things. He's a, you know, the kind of that attacking player. But now that they signed Martin Odegaard and, you know, Bukayo Saka's in there, um, Emil Smith Rowe, Martinelli's getting fit. I, I feel like there wasn't enough opportunity. He probably saw that there wasn't enough opportunities in that attacking um, trio or just in that attacking front for, for him to kind of get. Uh, legitimate chances so you know it's a big it's a bold move for him to go to Newcastle out of all places considering that as you said they don't play the most exciting football and we see players like Almiron um, Ryan Frazier Kyle Wilson they don't they don't create a ton of chances and you know maybe they get one or two chances a game they're not a very attacking side so Joe Wilk is really uh he's really betting on himself right now to go out there and try to prove himself but you know that shows maybe the character he has that he's willing to you know go somewhere where he he's not maybe where he knows it's going to be a little bit difficult, but he's just willing to go in there and just give it his all. So it'll be interesting. Hmm. I I will say I, I kind of like both of them. It's kind of some bold moves for in terms of the character. Yeah. They're going to like Niles almost wonder. relegation sides, relegation exactly. sides. I would say it's more prominent for Maitland Niles, but you know, Joe <laughs> will like maybe he's one of the, or maybe he might be kind of duping us. He's like, ah, I kind of want the, laid back vibes. <laughs> I know Newcastle's not getting relegated. I can just chill here. And then Arsenal is oh, there's a lot of that pressure trying to get back in the top six. I'm like, no, it's we're having a rough year already. I'm just gonna sit here. <laughs> so, and then, you know, collect some coinage. But I would want to quickly say though that mainly Niles, he is that Swiss Army knife too. That's one of my favorite type of players actually. A player mm. that can just do a little bit of everything. Cause like the only thing he's missing now is just playing in goal. So <laughs> he got that in his back pocket. He can really say place soccer. So I think that'd be very thing like a big thing to monitor during the season too. Cause I don't want to skip into it too much, but for West Brom at least, I know they're in the relegation battle with a lot of points, like just straight up I believe seven or some kind of point. Like I think it's seven points off the top from Brighton, who's in seventeenth. Mm-hmm. And they brought in four and released not released but transferred out for but their main problem was their defense and they did not get any defenders into the team and mainly niles he doesn't like playing defense and yeah. i don't know why <laughs> i don't know mainly niles realized it's like you know we didn't bring any defenders <laughs> we kind of need some help over there but we're, it's gonna be interesting to see if they if uh, sam allardyce you know just chucks them there anyway just Without him uh, getting much say yeah, in it, big, but well, Big Sam's never been mind. relegated. He hasn't been relegated, but he's definitely getting relegated this season. Jeez, <laughs> holy cow! This West Brom team is. <laughs> yeah, it'll. I, I mean, I know we had it later, but we could just quickly mention them. I think West Brom. It is uh, like you said. It's one of those things. The defense was the problem, but Big Sam. Maybe he's just backing himself to get this team defensively organized, and just he needs a maybe more quality up front in terms of the attacking talent. But I agree with you. I, I still don't think they are. They're going to stay up because uh, uh, the quality. I think of, of overall quality. I just don't. I don't think they have enough Premier League quality to kind of keep themselves up. Um, I think the the task is just too big for Big Sam. Unfortunately, uh, this time around. And actually, just double checked. It's actually not seven points behind Brighton. It's nine. Hold yeah. on, seven points. But they also uh, West Brom also just lost today to Sheffield United. Yeah. So and Sheffield United are on the bottom of the league. 
Exactly. So that kind of just digs their grave even deeper. So <laughs> I don't oh, think this very attacking side is going to get out. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe Big Sam can um, create some mag- magic, but uh, we haven't seen it yet. Uh, but going to Everton, who are an interesting side because they signed Josh King on loan, who obviously was the Boardman striker that did pretty well in the Premier League while he was playing um, in the Premier League last season and such. You know, he has the potential to kind of, I know he had those two seasons where I think he was getting close to double, where he had double digit goals actually. And he was one season where he was actually performing very well. I know last season wasn't the best for him, but they had to bring him in because they did release, or no, they did transfer out Czech Tosin to Besiktas, and then um, they need a replacement for him. But obviously, Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin are their main strikers, so Josh King is going to play like another backup auxiliary role again. But maybe, I think Josh King is a lot better than Czech Tosin, so maybe he might get a little bit more playing time. I think Ancelotti also said that he was very fond of the player and wanted to bring him in. So that's pretty good news if uh, Ancelotti's on your side uh, because the other, you'll, you will get playing time there. But... Yannick Bolassi got loaned out to, or is transferred out to Middlesbrough. So that's another sad one right there. Also, I don't think he's played this season for Everton, right? No, it's just the five-star skiller. He's out. <laughs> I'm always sad to see whenever a five-star skiller makes moves because, or out of the Premier League because there's not that many. Like you can yeah. literally count and it's within like 30 or 40 players. So it's not Jeez. too many. So... Yannick Velassi is one of like the the players I feel like I kind of grew up with throughout the Premier League because he was pretty Belassi prolific. Flick. At, yeah, Velassi Flick. He has his own move. When you have your own move, that's when you know. Yeah. And he was pretty prominent while at his time at Crystal Palace. You can barely remember him playing at Everton, but yeah. it's kind of sad to see him go. But hopefully he does well at Middlesbrough. Yeah. I don't know if they're ever going to come back up, but we'll see. <laughs> but Josh King, though, this is going to be interesting for him because he's had a pretty rough time at Bournemouth in the later half of his career there because when he was there with Callum Wilson Callum Wilson now at Newcastle I feel like Josh King was kind of promising you know Mm -hmm. another Norwegian fast player from Man U the academy so I think Everton might be able to spark it a little bit just get that little spark going because we've been saying Everton is where a lot of those players that had the potential to be something great go to just cement the deaths of their careers and just let it <laughs> rot but you know under Ancelotti maybe he can just spark something back up again and then get the pace and the scoring back in Josh King and then maybe he might not just be a bench player maybe he can be an impact player that can you know fill in the role if you know Richarlison or Mainland Niles no not Mainland Niles <laughs> Calvert-Lewin yeah. goes down yeah. so you never know yeah and also you know it was funny last season United actually tried to loan him in during the January transfer window but Bournemouth only wanted a permanent buy and I think Josh King was really pushing for it but ultimately obviously United went for Igalo which was the loan and I think that kind of ruptured uh, like some of the relationship because I think Josh King was really pushing to leave and when he didn't leave he got upset so Hopefully, Everton is kind of the kickstart. He needs to get everything back on track. But Fulham, the other team that's in the relegation battle, have signed as has signed Josh Maja from Bordeaux on loan. If you don't know Josh Maja, I think everyone probably knows who he is. But if you don't, he is the cult hero from the Sunderland Till I Die documentary on Netflix. He was the kid that was uh, basically lighting up, lighting it up for Sunderland, then made his move in a very dramatic way to Bordeaux when it was the back and forth from the owners. They were trying to get him to sign long term, but they didn't want to offer him a ton of money. So he's just like, all right, I'm just going to go to league own and like go play for Bordeaux. And uh, I haven't looked up too much about his stats and such and how he's developed at Bordeaux, but hopefully being back, you know, in England and such with Fulham, obviously a different club than Sunderland, hopefully being back, being back in England might help, uh, might help. Uh, we can probably see some of that magic that we saw in the Netflix documentary where he was scoring goals and creating a ton of chances and just being a good goal scorer. So Fulham kind of need that because Scott Parker definitely doesn't trust Mitrovic because Mitrovic has basically been riding the bench this whole time and they've been playing a wide variety of players. I know Adama Lukman looks really good and I, I like I like him as a forward, but uh, I don't think they've been missing like a true striker and I think Josh Maja can kind of, kind of bring that, be like the last piece of that Scott Parker puzzle and maybe hopefully um, keep them up for another season in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. It's going to be cool seeing Josh Majif play because literally it's kind of like seeing a TV star 
star for a team all of a sudden, but he's not really <laughs> a star for a particular reason that usually TV stars are for. It's just going to be weird. It's kind of like when you see this documentary and they play FIFA. It's like, hey, all these players yeah. <laughs> were in the documentary. McGeady. Look at that. Yeah. McGeady. Yeah. McGeady over here. Oh, and then, this is 09? Luke 09? Yeah, Luke 09. That's the one I remember the most. So, <laughs> it's just so sad. He's just like, man, don't leave. Don't leave, Josh. <laughs> You're my one friend. And then he's like, I'm out. <laughs> Literally <laughs> a month later. So, you know, Fulham couldn't get Josh King, but they got Josh Maja. And hopefully he will light it up because it'll be kind of cool to see him go from Sunderland to Bordeaux and then back to England and then kind of light it up like he did for Sunder- Sunderland. But also be kind of sad for Sunderland because like you couldn't let up for them again. But I will say they also have the other striker up there. I mean, I guess he was striker back on his Cardiff days, but Bobby Reed or Dober Decker Reed, whatever his yeah. name is now. He changed his last name. He's no longer Bobby Reed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I still can't really pronounce it, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's also there and he was pretty promising in the championship. So I'm kind of surprised too that. At the same time, not surprised that he's still kind of struggling in the Premier League. It's a whole different league. But I think maybe a combination of these three, they can maybe challenge to get out of the relegation zone, but then still get relegated. <laughs> I think it's still going to happen. But, you know, Ariola, I feel like it's the main guy just playing every single yeah. week, kind of keeping Fulham in. And this. he's on loan too. So he's also on loan. So <laughs> at least it's way better than having Sergio Rico. I'll say that. He's actually doing work. Yeah, the guy that we thought were going to be, if you go back to season one, that's the guy we thought was going to be like some, you know, the gold mine, like a like a steal for Fulham and he was absolute garbage. Luckily, Ariola has not been like that. Ariola has been mm-hmm. pretty solid for them uh, in the back. So, we'll see what happens with Fulham. I know we have a little bit of topic about the relegation battle later, but um, looking at Leicester real quickly, they loaned out um, or they transferred out Damari Gray to Bayern Leverkusen. And this is a bit of a weird one because Damari Gray, I think, is now 24, 25. He's not the young kid that was 18, 19 years old. He was part of the Premier League title winning side. And he, at that time, in that 2015-16 season, was the young attacking winger who a lot of people were pretty high on because they were like, this guy has a lot of... Uh, lot of skills and he has a little bit of uh, flashes of being something special and then as the seasons went by Leicester didn't play him that consistently and he wasn't playing consistently and they started bringing in other players and now the way Leicester is set up now he doesn't really play and I unfortunately for him I don't see how he could actually break into this starting 11 because I think the the starting 11 now is just too solid for him to kind of break in but hopefully a team like Leverkusen may be what he needs to kind of revitalize his career. I think this has kind of been the theme of the episode. Every all these players trying to revitalize some of their careers and get the get their careers kick started again. Or just get any minutes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but shout out to Andres, the our resident Bayer Leverkusen fan. This is gonna be huge for him. Just more pace in FIFA because I will always say Leverkusen kind of lacks the pace <laughs> overall. Like they got some good wingers, but you know maybe Chuck Damari Gray at striker. <laughs> a very FIFA move, or at least when you use the German commentators in FIFA, they call him Demarai Gray. Demarai Gray. <laughs> so we're gonna. That's just what his name is now since he's in the Bundesliga. So that'd be cool to see. But that that is one of the notable ones I wanted to mention too, because this is a player that had a lot of promise coming from Birmingham City, and like he just never blossomed. It's just one yeah, of those he, ones. Like, oh yeah, young- I forgot. He was a young winger. Everyone was like the steel winger. Everyone could buy on career mode during like the older FIFAs, like FIFA 15 or 16. He was kind of like that steel that for like one mil you could buy and just keep mm-hmm. developing and training and he'll turn into like a, the next star. But yeah, he really has not, uh, he hasn't really lived up to kind of the potential luster saw on him. So we'll see what happens with, when he goes to uh, Leverkusen. But we have to mention for Newcastle, we already mentioned that they signed Joe Willock on loan, but there is an American that is no longer there with them. Um, DeAndre Yedlin, unfortunately, has gone to Galatasaray. Hopefully, where we can get more consistent minutes because I just, this is a bit of a weird one. I thought Yedlin, whenever he did play, I guess it's some of the American bias in me. I thought he looked pretty solid um, for the most part. And for a team like Newcastle, I thought Yedlin fit in pretty well. I know under Rafa Benitez, he was really developing a lot. And I think Rafa Benitez trusted him a lot. And I think. Once the manager turnover went to Steve Bruce, I think Steve Bruce 
opted for different players. And then DeAndre Yedlin slowly and slowly got less and less game time. And now he's out of the Premier League and in Galatasaray. So I hope hope he can get some consistent minutes there because I, it was a bit sad to see Yedlin not really keep his starting spot as the right back for uh, Newcastle when Benitez left. Mm-hmm. Javier Man- Manquillo ended up really taking over for that yeah. right back spot. But I feel like Yedlin, this could be better for him because now Galatasaray actually challenge <laughs> for title in the Turkish League at least. And then mm-hmm. occasionally you see him playing in Champions League. So who knows? Maybe this is a better situation for DeAndre Yedlin. So yeah, the I pace think- is still there. The vibes are still there, so yeah. We'll I see remember. How that goes. I remember when he came on on the scene in the 2014 World Cup, and he was like, "Well, this guy's insane!" Like all he did was just run to the byline, as literally as far to the byline as you can get, literally on the white line, and just cut it back. That's all he did. And I was like, "This this this dude is awesome!" And then I remember Tottenham bought him, and he played like maybe one or two games for Tottenham. They got loaned out, I think, to Sunderland or Newcastle. Then he played for Sunderland for like one whole season. And then went to Newcastle and then was just there. And I don't know. It's kind of been a wacky ride for Yedlin. Because I think he also played for the Sounders before mm-hmm. uh, before he moved to the Premier League. So this guy's been all over the place. Literally across the world. <laughs> but now he's, now he's in Turkey. Yeah. So we'll, we'll keep that in mind. Yeah. Wishing him the American, best of luck there. We're sure. But uh, looking at Southampton real quickly, the team that got smacked 9-0. I think we have to mention that again. 9-0. Like... Come on, like one goal away from 10 nil. That's insane. Roast uh, of Southampton this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but they did loan out some players. Shane Long is um, to Bournemouth. So Bournemouth got their backup striker. I don't really know how good Shane Long is going to be as a replacement striker. This guy barely scores goals to begin with as a striker. Then Jan Valeri is out to Birmingham. And Jan Valeri is a bit of a funny one because I remember when he burst onto the scene, he was scoring goals like Benjamin Pavard and, you know, scoring bangers from the fullback position, but he really hasn't played that consistently. And Shane Long, I don't know how he's managed to stay at Southampton as long as he has, because that guy does not score barely any goals. I think he was literally at one point, I think he went like a whole season and a half without scoring a Premier League goal and he was still on Southampton. So shout out to him and his agent for keeping him on during this entire (laughs) time. Cause that's crazy. Literally. I think Shane Long's also has the record for one of the fastest goals in the Premier League. Yeah, it's, so, it's weird. He's like the biggest drought and also the fastest goal scorer. He's very fast in real life, though, I'll say that. And then <laughs> Jan Bellery, he left at the right time. He's like, oh, that wasn't me. The 9-0, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> he's out of there real quick. Perfect timing. <laughs> but, but yeah, not yeah, really not much going on with Southampton. Yeah, it's just kind of like just going around. But um, the last team, because we already mentioned West Brom, the last team, West Ham, um, they did loan in the Jesse Lingard, as we like to say, Messi Lingard or Lingardinho or um, whatever version of Lingard you want to go for, wherever you are and wherever you see your names. The Basically, he's out to West Ham. And if you don't know, London is his dance floor. He literally called the Emirates, the Emirates when he scored against Arsenal his dance floor. I mean, this guy is a legend. And he's gone to London. So hopefully this is what he needs to really kick on and get his career kind of back on track. I will say from because now he's I believe 26, 27, but I will say that the Jesse Lingard that a lot of people saw maybe three, four years ago, the guy that was just dancing and everything I think that's just part of his personality and I really like it because he's just a fun guy and such, but I will say he's a lot more mature because I think he's had a lot of, uh, a lot of life events come at him at as he was getting older and such that he had to kind of, I guess, mature and get a little bit more, you know, just kind of grow up and mature and such. So I think he's definitely, um, in terms of maturity aspect, I think he's a lot more mature than he was three, four years ago. And I feel like this move is probably good for him because I think he's a primarily quality player, but I don't know if he's really Manchester United quality anymore. I think he had that. It's weird. A lot of these players, you know, there's certain players that kind of have these one or two seasons where they're just on fire and then, for some reason, they can never really replicate it because maybe they were just exceeding their performances or they're just kind of having some of this magic spell with them. And I think for Lingard, unfortunately, it was kind of maybe some sort of magic spell or, you know, he was kind of exceeding expectations for a little bit. And he was a big, he played a big role in England's 2018 World Cup run. Uh, so hopefully this move will be good for him and maybe it might make it a permanent move if he can make a consistent impact there because 
I'd like to see Je- Jesse Lingard perform um, perform at a decent level again because uh, I think he's a good player and I think he does bring a lot of good energy to any side he's in. I I agree. I think Jesse Lingard, despite all the memes, <laughs> is kind of fun to watch at times and it's a lot different of a player for West Ham to have because if you think about it, a lot of the players they do have, you're not really thinking it's like, ah, yes, we have that kind of creative box-to-box kind of player and I feel like Lingard at times can do a little bit of everything and like he's not really the goal scorer or like a like winger or anything like that I think he's literally like I can only see him in the middle mm-hmm. like that's literally all he can really go he's like can't really straight from that little s- center of the field yeah he doesn't so, have like a ton of skill moves and stuff that he really relies on it's kind of um even when he did play out the wing for United it was just basically he would always cut inside and just try to be in the middle as much as he could mm-hmm and it kind of works for him. And mm-hmm. I think this kind of move will kind of help, you know, West Ham kind of solidify that top part of the table that they're somehow find themselves in. It's, I can't really say as much as Yush can on Lingard, but I really do think this is still like a promising move despite all the, the jokes. Yeah. I know everyone him. likes to joke that uh, he's like this promising young player because <laughs> everyone, because <laughs> he, he did develop really late. Because I think when he made his debut, um, consistent debut for United in 2015-16. I think he was maybe 23 at the time. So he was kind of a late bloomer. Late bloomer and when it comes to soccer, you know, soccer terms uh, when it comes to people breaking through. So I think a lot of people tend to forget that his age is a little bit closer to being in that 30-year-old category. But he's still a good player. We kind of know who he is. But I, uh, as a United fan, I think it's a good move because I, I just want him to be successful and I want to see him succeed because he, uh, you know, I will always remember some of the goals he scored for United because he scored some fantastic goals. The FA Cup goal, the goal against Watford. I mean, this guy scores some of the most miraculous, like literally messy level goals. I just don't get it. I mean, Tyler, you got to agree with me. Some of the, some of the goals he scores is like, yeah, how did he do that? How did he do that? I mean, they're called Messi Lingo for a reason. So, <laughs> You never know. He's literally a meme and the the fact that he celebrates memes, like his celebration <laughs> are memes, but some of the goals he's he's scored, despite who he is, are just kind of insane. And but, uh, literally upper ninety, just you know, I want to see him recreate some of that stuff for West Ham. Maybe under David Moyes he can get some stuff going, but yeah, West Ham also fun. we're not done from that move. They also signed uh I guess Tyler, you'll take it this one because uh you know a little bit more about this player than I do from Brentford. I don't know how to pronounce his first name, but it's spelled the, like the words said, but I think it's say, say it. <laughs> Ben Rama. He is a, well, Ben Rama is from Brentford. He is one of like the cornerstones of that team. And last season, Brentford almost got promoted to the Premier League. And it was yeah. big part from Ben Rama. He is, I would say, the equivalent of Mateus Perea on West Brom, where he's kind of just the one carry, the the creator, the goal scorer at times for that team. And when I was I actually watched that Brentford playoff match and everything kind of went through him without him. It was just like not much was going on. And it was surprising to see that West Ham got him for 25 million pounds. And I was thinking, I was like, he's like the whole team. <laughs> so this is pretty cool to see uh, West Ham get this player. It's a, kind of similar to Lingard, not in like pedigree or anything but it's more like the style of play so this could be interesting to see because you know west ham we always think of them like we, we mentioned last podcast episode like the working man's hard working kind of team where they just kind of put their heads down and then just play their hearts out mm-hmm. but this one is kind of brings in a little bit of that ma- maestro that yeah. kind of little bit of that artist kind of gentle touch into this mm-hmm. team which is a lot different you don't really think of that when you think of like what I mean, you know what yeah. I mean. <laughs> I they, have, uh, they, have well, some, they, they have some interesting players because they have, um, I think it's, is it Sam Bowen or Jared Bowen? The the winger. The, oh yeah, Jared was, Bowen. Okay, yeah. I always get his first name mixed up, but yeah. He, I feel like he just kind of came out of the woodwork and came out of nowhere last season and he's been a really consistent player for them because I love the energy he brings and the Macau Antonio brings a lot of energy. Thomas Suchek is this guy in the midfield that just somehow manages to score a goal pretty much every game. I don't know how he does it. This guy's like six foot five and then it's built like a stick, but he just manages to score all the time. And then Ogbana has been playing really well this season for them. 
I, th- I think for West Ham, they just had a lot of pieces work well for them, and they just kind of been on a roll, and they've been doing they've been doing well. So, um, I'd like to see these signings. I think these signings are going to be good for them. I think it will make their team better and such. But I wanted to throw some two questions we had um, for this after the transfer window. How much does this change the relegation battle for the first one? And for me, unfortunately. I don't think it changes it too much because uh, I I think out of all the teams that probably had the best shot out of their window, I think Fulham, because Fulham have shown this season that they do, I feel like at times have what it takes to maybe stay up. However, it's it's a big ask and it's going to take a lot of work from them. And maybe Josh Maja, if he can come in and score a bunch of goals for them right away, that can be that catalyst to get them going. But unfortunately, I still think it's going to be West Brom, Sheffield and Fulham that will probably go down. Um, for me, I, I don't think uh, all. Like I said, all the out of all the teams there, I think Fulham had the best shot at getting out. But the other two, I think for sure, are probably going down. Mm-hmm. I agree. I really think because there's two sides to this. You gotta play well, but you also have to make sure the teams lucky. above you. Yeah, you have to get lucky, and then they suck <laughs> essentially. <laughs> so I don't see Brighton. Or Newcastle, Newcastle, maybe. But Brighton, <laughs> I feel like, have enough Grand to... Potter. Yeah, Graham Potter is doing something. Like, no money, but he's coaching them pretty well enough to you know, beat Tottenham 1-0. And, and they have decent... They they actually signed... I, I can't believe we forgot about this. They actually signed Moyes um, Casiedo. Casiedo, yeah. And this guy was heavily linked to Manchester United, but United didn't pull the deal because... Um, I think Fabrizio mentioned like it wasn't because they they weren't willing to cough up the money. I think they just decided not to do it. But from all the reports, I know we always like to say, oh, this guy's like the next Angolo Conte. But from every report I've been seeing from South American reporters, this guy is the real deal when it comes to the midfield. I mean, he is a absolute powerhouse. Like, I mean, this guy controls the midfield, breaks up play. I mean, when people say... Ningolo Kante replacement. This guy is literally Ningolo Kante regen. Like this, they're saying this guy's the way he plays is so similar. So Brighton basically got a steal because they also have a really good midfielder in Basuma, who is another quality midfielder for them. So I think Brighton have you know they have pretty good quality pieces. So maybe Casiero can kind of be um, another Kickstarter for them because I think they got a steal for what for him because I think um, in probably a season I think he'll probably go to a bigger club and for a really big fee because uh, they definitely got a they definitely got a quality player in him. So, uh, Brighton did. They also do have Lalana. <laughs> and Lamptey, Lamptey's still staying. Yeah, they're, yeah. Their prize right back. So I really do think they have enough just to stay in the Premier League at least this season mm-hmm. and just enough to at least beat off the Fulham side that's just still a little bit of ways behind them. But Newcastle, that's going to be the interesting one, I feel like, that could potentially get leapfrogged. If no. West, I mean, if Fulham goes ham, full ham, and <laughs> Newcastle just continue to kind of saunter wherever they are. Yeah, Newcastle so, are, are a bit... Uh, it's a bit dangerous because I don't think... I don't think they can afford going on too many more losing streaks because if you do that, we've seen in the past that these teams on the bottom, you never know some sort of magic can come their way and they start picking up some wins. And all of a sudden, Newcastle are in the bottom three and it's really hard to get out of the bottom three. So I, I don't think they can afford it. And I, I think they will do enough to stay up. But I, I like I said before, I still think it's going to be the same three that are in the bottom right now are going to be the same three that get relegated at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And I'm on yeah. that boat too. Yeah, and then the the next question we had is how do how does this affect the title race when it comes to the top four battle? I would say, and also when it comes to Premier League title, I think this is this throws um, a big wrench in it because of Liverpool's two signings with the center backs. I think it will provide them enough maybe firepower to go out City, but I also think this title race is still basically still up in the air. I know City right now have the game in hand. They could, you know, kind of go on a run and just kind of run away with it. But as we've seen, this season is very, very unpredictable. And I still think the title, even Leicester and Chelsea, I I wouldn't even count out Chelsea under Tuchel. I mean, they are in a bit of a run right now, two games where they picked up points, but they're not too far off from the title either. Tottenham, I wouldn't say like they're really in it, but they're still sort of in it. But Leicester... United, Liverpool, Man City. I, I feel like it's a big race going on. And I think 
with Liverpool signings and the fact that Liverpool plays City during this weekend, if Liverpool can get a victory or get a point there, I think um, I think this throws a wrench in everything because I think Liverpool signing these defenders just throws everything else up in the air. And now I feel like City kind of have to, you know, be on their toes a little bit and that can add a little bit of pressure to them. So I think this uh, this definitely throws a wrench in the title race. Hmm. You, also, you forgot about West Ham, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You never know. How could I forget about the, the hammers? <laughs> the hammers. Literally. I for me, I think for Liverpool, I'm still not too confident that they'll win the title because it really will depend on these two defenders really developing really quickly to mm-hmm. make sure Liverpool doesn't concede too many goals. And you know, with Man City already with the head start and with Ruben Diaz going off like 18 games, only 10 goals conceded. I don't know if he's slowing down anytime soon. Like, I feel like they already got the momentum. They can always just keep going. So I feel like it's cities to lose at this point. But it will, as you said, Yush, throw a wrench into all that if Liverpool can get a win this weekend against City. And then there will be at least a race going on until the very end. Mm-hmm. But at least for the other sides, there weren't like too many players brought in that really affected the team too much. Like, you know, from Man U, from Leicester... And you know, West Ham got some pretty good players in, but you never know how long West Ham's going to stay where they're at. <laughs> and for Tottenham and Chelsea, they're also still not really too many notable players in. So I think it will still be kind of like the same for at least these sides. But for Man City and Liverpool, it does make a slight difference into how much Liverpool will keep up. Who knows? Man, you they could still go off too, like yeah. with the players they got, because you know they have this nine too. Diallo that uh, they're really high on could kind of put play himself into that right wing position and kind of be that star in there. Because mm-hmm. Martial has been kind of meh. So <laughs> <laughs> scored twice today. So hopefully that kicks on his uh, kicks on a season. Hopefully praying there. But um, I think it throws a wrench in it. Tyler's not too t- not too certain about it. But those are some of the two questions that we had uh, going in. Um, well, going out of this transfer window, but moving on to the preview section. Um, so as we said before, we are recording this in on Tuesday. So it's the middle of the current match day or match week right now. There's still the second half of games left to be played. Um, the big one, I think, is uh, Tottenham-Chelsea still has to be played. We ha- we don't know the result of that one, but we will be previewing this weekend's game. So the next match week, which is this weekend, and the first game, that we have right now is Manchester United versus Everton, a pretty big matchup because uh, Manchester United are trying to stay in that title race. Everton are trying to get themselves consistently, um, trying to get themselves back in the top six, get in the top four. They need a result. Manchester United need a result. It's at Old Trafford. I think United can win this game. Uh, I would say 3-1. Yeah. For me, I'm going to say, man, you also win this as well, especially with a side that lost to Newcastle <laughs> being in Everton. You never know what's going to go on with them. But with Man U, I feel like having a little bit more momentum with this 9-0 in their back pocket now. I think that's a lot of confidence in a side to score a lot of goals. So I actually agree with you. A 3-1. Oh, here we go. I wouldn't even be surprised if it was a 3-0. Yeah, I would say 3-0, but this defense sometimes gives me a little... Uh, I'm not too confident. Yeah. Sometimes they can switch off and just do something really stupid for no reason. Um, so that's why I'm giving myself a little bit of leeway 3-1, but hopefully it's a 3-0. So we both got Manchester United victories, and then we have Newcastle versus Southampton. And we picked this game because Southampton are obviously coming off a 9-0 loss. And last season, when they lost 9-0 to Leicester, they actually lost three games in a row after that. They lost to the City twice, and then they lost to... I believe it was Chelsea or another team I'm blanking on, but they did lose three in a row before they finally picked up a result. And they need a result because Hasenhudel was definitely not pleased after losing 9-0. And then Newcastle are on a rut because even though they beat Everton last week, they lost again this week. And they're just in a weird run of form. But if I had to pick, I'd probably pick Southampton because they've been consistently the better side. And I think they might actually bounce back this year after losing 9-0 um, because they have to. I think there's just no no other excuse. They have to bounce back. I I agree because I feel like if there is a team to get put up against to win and bounce back, it would be a team that's not trying to fight relegation or like they're not in that kind of dogfight yet where they're like, oh, 
oh, we actually have to go ham now. It's like <laughs> they're, they're still like kind of just, you know, lumbering about. And, you know, Southampton have something to play for, which is their pride. So I think a 1-0 is what I see. I don't see Newcastle actually scoring. Yeah, I go 1-0 so, as well because I agree with that. Me. No Newcastle Dang. score there. So first two matches, we both agree. I will yeah. the exact score too. Like a first for the Premier Pod maybe. Yeah, I feel like it's happened before, but it's probably been a while since it has. Yeah, it's probably been a while. Yeah, but the last we'll game we have, the final one, yeah, yeah, last game we have is Liverpool City. It is the biggest game of the weekend. Um, this game recently has kind of been a cult classic, I would say, because since Klopp has been at Liverpool, these City games, City Liverpool games, have been very exciting. Um, just the amount of goals, the drama. I mean, I remember that that year Mane got a red card when I think then he kicked Ederson in the face or something like that, mm-hmm. or Ederson something crazy like that happened. Then City ended up winning that game, I think six one or something like that, or four one. And then we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, then the Champions League. I can't even forget about the Champions League results that season as well, where Liverpool dominated City, and um, you know it was this really exciting affair. Then these these games, and then we can't remember the. The one two seasons and two seasons ago in the Premier League, where John Stones literally cleared the ball on the line that basically saved the title for City. I mean, it was insane. These games have been classics because they feature some of the best players in the Premier League, the best managers. Um, so it's at Anfield. Um, Liverpool have the momentum of these two new signings. City are on a roll. I'm actually going to roll with. Uh, I think Liverpool can find a way, and I think Klopp will find a way. We'll probably win. And I think they'll get a two. I'm going to go. Actually, I'm going to go three, two. I'll, I feel like they'll, they'll get a three, two win over City. I don't think it's likely, but I, I, I'm just going to go with a kind of an exciting scoreline here and go three, two Liverpool. I feel like City, their defense is too impenetrable to be scoring more than one right now. <laughs> and Liverpool, they are actually getting some momentum from some of their front three. Finally, like they finally scored in the last game. You know, like everyone on the score sheet. But I don't know. Like this season, we've been seeing all these big games or a nil nil or like a one one, something really boring. And I would say typically this game is the opposite. There's always something that happens because Pep and Klopp, there's something about them. They're good friends, but there's just <laughs> there's always a big fight going on once that whistle blows and the game kicks off. Man, if a game, I know we always say this with every big matchup, but if a game needed like a good atmosphere this game needed like could you imagine the cold and field air like the crowd would be roaring like it would just be on their feet going wild i will say this is one of the first times in a long time i feel like that Anfield fortress is slightly damaged because of that defense <laughs> so i'm not too confident but i think for me going into this match I know Yes, and I talked about it right before the podcast started, but I'm going to say for every single game that I've seen that's been a big top six game this season, it's been a nil-nil. I'm going to say for the first time it'll be a nil-nil for this matchup. Oh, I think no. Set up shop. I think so. Oh, that is, uh, you know, that's very possible. I think it's actually more than likely. I mean, if you had to give a percentage chance, I feel like it'd probably sway more towards the 50 uh, more towards like the 60% mark of that happening. But man, I do not want to see that. I don't think anyone <laughs> would want to see that because this matchup has always brought out some of the best stuff in the Premier League. Premier no. League has to offer. But this season is weird. But Yash, I actually got a bonus one for you. Oh. One that's not on our on a rundown, but Sunday is a big day for American sports, at least. And I wanted to mention a bonus oh, yeah. one that's actually not soccer related. Well, it's football related. But yeah. A lot of people might be tuning into this because same day. So you can go from Liverpool Men's City match to this event, the Super Bowl. Man, I can't believe I forgot about that. I'm actually working. I'll be working like the uh, the Super Bowl. So I'll be on like the staff and stuff. So I won't. I'll be I'll be watching the game, but also I'll be working and such. But if you're asking, I guess like uh, I'm asking my prediction for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think... Uh, I feel like Brady might have a chance to get his seventh ring, but I, I feel like it'll probably be Patrick Mahomes that wins the Chiefs. So I'll, I'll roll with the Chiefs in this one. You got the Chiefs. I also have the Chiefs. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't like the Chiefs. Yeah. <laughs> this is the most anticlimactic thing. But I also like the Chiefs because Mahomes is just one of those players that is like a cheat code. Mm-hmm. He's like, 
I don't really know much too about too much about football to really go into detail. But when I see him play, like, and I and I play Madden, I'm just like, why can't the the quarterback just just throw it wherever I th- want it to be? Like that's just Mahomes. He can just he can be in whatever position, whatever body angle, and he can just throw it wherever he wants, no mm-hmm. matter what. But we'll see. So that's a big it's a big match day for the Premier League and the NFL that day. Yeah. So. It's a big day. Get your chicken wings. Get your chips out. It's going to be a lot of calories and a lot yeah. of good football. <laughs> so and hopefully both. we get some good footy in the morning and then get get a good match at the end, um, at the end of the night. So mm-hmm. that basically wraps up um, episode 105 for us. As we always say, you can follow us at The Premier Pod on YouTube and subscribe to us there. But you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Premier Pod. We post our full videos on YouTube. But as we always say, if you give us a leave us a rate um, rating and a subscription and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, that helps us out. But if you don't, that's totally fine. If you could share this podcast with one of your buddies or if you have a friend that's interested in soccer, that would be interested in any of the topics we talk about. That would be great if you could share it, spread the word around. Um, if And if not, we do appreciate just you taking the time out of your day to listen to us because I know everyone's busy. So we appreciate that. But that basically... That wraps up season three, episode 105 for us. Thank you guys so much for listening slash watching. Thank you guys. Peace. Peace.